The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Okay. So I'd like to welcome you all to the Buddha Loka Center, BSV, this sunny Sunday morning. It's, um, it's really nice, really encouraging that you've all come to the Buddha Center this morning. You've uh, given up going to some sort of nice cafe to have a brunch and a coffee and all these kinds. Of, I notice people in Melbourne really like to do that. They go to cafes and drink coffee and eat toast and things. So it's, it's very nice that you've all uh, given that up and come to practice the Dhamma and practice some meditation, do some chanting. Um, uh, and so what this... The, the, the mere fact that you've actually come here this morning um, and that you've given up something like going to a nice cafe on a sunny morning, it, it shows that you see the benefit in something like this. You see the benefit in doing some kind of meditation or doing some kind of Dhamma practice. You see that there's some kind of benefit over and above doing these things that are, that are you know, enjoyable to do with your life. And so we've most likely come to that conclusion because we've heard a lot about meditation and dharma practice and and we think okay this is something that's very good this is going to bring uh, happiness and joy and uh, clarity and understanding and wisdom and and bliss and and enlightenment and all these kinds of great things we've all we've all heard the really good things about meditation and we and that's you know why most of us do it but what I actually wanted to talk about this morning is maybe something a little counterintuitive to that is the suffering that can come about through meditation or the problems that you can go through with meditation. Because, you know, one of the central teachings of Buddhism that the Buddha taught was that, you know, everything in our existence is suffering in some way. And actually, meditation, it's no exception from that now, meditation practice can be can be very difficult so so this morning i'll put on my sort of my buddhist monk grump hat and you know start to wave a flag of pessimism around a little bit so um but the only reason i wanted to talk about this is not to uh, uh, deny that actually meditation does have these good uh, factors to it, and it, it really does. If you do it, it does bring a lot of great benefit. But just to know that for anybody that hasn't done much meditation, that it is very normal to go through suffering and go th uh, to deal with problems when you're actually practicing meditation. So, um, what I'll what I'll outline this morning is, firstly, what do I mean when I say it's suffering from meditation or problems from meditation? Then I'll go over about why well, some of the reasons why we actually experience suffering when we do a practice like meditation and then I'll try to outline some you know just some pointers and some ideas of of maybe how to overcome that in some way and then finally why I think it's it's really important for us to continue with a practice like meditation even though it might actually cause us some suffering and frustration and all these kinds of things so firstly so what do I actually mean when I say the suffering from meditation and Dhamma practice. Well, anyone that has meditated for... And is there anybody here that actually hasn't meditated or done anything like that before? 
well, that's good. I'm not going to scare anybody off then. So that's good. <laughs> so usually what we notice as when we take up some kind of meditation practice, and this happens from the very first time that you do it, you realize actually controlling your mind is very, very hard. This is not something that's easy to do. Um, you take up a practice like the breath, and just throughout this talk, I'll just use the breath as the example of what I'm going to talk about. It's just easier than having multiple examples. But say, for example, we take up the breath, uh, we want to, we, we get told we need to pay attention to the breath, and we think, okay, I need to put my attention here and stay here, and this is what's going to make me calm. This is what's going to make me peaceful and happy. And inevitably, what happens is after a few moments, the mind wanders off. Uh, we get lost in thought for a little while, and then after a few moments we realize, oh, I'm meant to be meditating. I need to come back to the breath. And so you do, you come back to the breath, and you think, I'm really going to stay on this thing this time. It's, I'm not going to let it go. And obviously what happens again is that happens again, you get lost in thought, you realize, oh, I'm meant to be meditating. And what gradually happens through that process is you start to, at that point where you realize you've wandered off, you start to maybe get critical or you start to get judgmental of yourself and think, oh, wh why can't I do this? Uh, why, isn't the, why isn't the mind settling down? We, these are, that's the point where most of us think that, that we, and we start to have doubts about the practice. Is this meditation object that we're doing? Is this the right thing? Is this the right object I should be using? And, or am I meditating in the right way? Am I doing this the right way? Why aren't I actually practicing? Why, why isn't my mind becoming calm? And it can, that can happen over a longer period of time. And what can eventually start to happen with people is that this very natural process that happens might just start, might start to get discouraged because of it start to think, well, actually, I'm not cut out for meditation. This is, you know, this is, uh, you know, my mind's just too busy. I can't do this. This is, this isn't something that's, that I'm, that I'm good at. So I, I'm not going to do it. So this is something that just very naturally happens through the course of, of having a, uh, some kind of meditation practice. And so that can bring up a lot of frustration, doubt, um, as I said, like judgmental, critical attitudes in the mind. And so you can start to have those, those, you know, negative reactions to the mind state and wanting the mind to be a particular way when it, when it's not that way. You know, we take up a meditation practice because we want to feel better about ourselves. We want these good things, but it's just doesn't seem to be working, doesn't seem to be happening. So there's that level of frustration, but then there's also all the other all the other aspects in meditation that can bring up frustration and you you know there's the obviously you sit for a while there's the pain in the legs the pain in the body there's the there's the boredom from doing it for a very long period of time there's the there's the self-doubt there of is my meditation actually is it is it actually progressing in any way there's the you know, 10,000 other things that you think that would be better to be doing. I could be, you know, out at a cafe and, and it's sunny day. I should be out doing something like that. There's the, the critical aspect of the mind. There's, there's, there's just wanting a little bit of peace and not getting it and having to go through this beratement from your own mind. Um, so there's all these different 
aspects where you're, you can come into a lot of challenges in meditation. And, you know, so how do I know this? Well, like anybody that's had a meditation practice, I've been through them all. I've had to deal with all these things. And this was, this became really obvious when I first started to do a practice, like, first started to practice meditation. Um, this was before I was ordained, obviously. And I thought, meditation, this is good. I'm going to go and do, I'm going to go do a meditation retreat. Uh, I'm going to do one of those 10 day silent retreats. This is going to be great. I'm going to feel better about myself. This is exactly what I'm looking for in life. This is, I'm going to go there. I'm going to be peaceful. I'm going to be calm. I'm going to understand something more about my life. This is, this is really going to change me and change who I am. And this is going to be perfect for me. Obviously, I got there the first day and first day, first sit. Yeah. I'm, I'm nailing this. I know exactly what I'm doing. My mind's calm. It's good. It's peaceful. By the end of the night, kind of thing. It's, oh, it's not so great anymore. It's you know, it's a, you know, I can I can I can be mindful for forty five minutes out of this hour sit. So that's you know, it's still okay. But you know, by the second day and the third day, you're doing an hour sit, and it's like it's dropped down to maybe you're mindful for about five minutes, and then by the third day, you sit for an hour, and you might be mindful for like fifteen seconds out of the hour. The rest of the time is just just this yammering in the mind and so by the third day i was i was furious i was i was i was so angry i was i was i was living i thought i was about to blow i got so i got so angry doing this that i because the meditation center was it backed onto a national park i went out the back of the of the meditation center uh in near the forest and I started to walk around like I was kicking trees and I was <laughs> I was like sitting on the ground and pounding my fists in the ground and like I, I got I got so angry and I got so like felt like I was gonna blow that I actually like ran into the forest ran into the middle of a national park and mind you I didn't like follow a path I just like ran into the forest and I, I went for about three hours and, and this time it was like, it was about one o'clock in the afternoon. So I walked till about four before I decided to come back and starting to get a little bit dark, all these kinds of things. So I had to make my way back. It obviously turned out okay. I got back and everything was, everything was fine. So, um, so, you know, what this you know what this shows is that you know there there is a lot of frustration that can come about through through a meditation practice um and you know so why do we have this kind of frustration you know why do you have this suffering when you actually meditate so if you think of think of that example of me like running away running away um what what was i actually doing there if, me getting frustrated, me getting angry. What what was that because of? That was simply because I couldn't control my own mind. There was nothing else that was wrong in the world. I couldn't control my own mind. I wanted my experience to be something different than what it was. I wanted peace, calm, clarity, insight. But all I was getting was anger, frustration, you know, agitation. I wanted my experience of the world to be something different than what it was and i you know it it got to the point where i i literally tried to run away from myself i, I my problems up in my own mind it's um, but i'm literally trying to run away from that so that's usually what happens when you have some kind of 
uh, problem from meditation or some kind of suffering is that you're experiencing something that's not good, that's suffering, and you don't want it to be that way. You want it to be a different way. You're not actually accepting uh, reality for what it is because we think meditation's about something about changing who we are. We think meditation's about uh, actually feeling better and making ourselves better and improving ourselves, and, and it is all these things. But at that moment, we think we should be a different way instead of actually realizing, well, this is, this is the way reality is right at this point in time. We're always trying to change this. We're always trying to think that who we are and what we're experiencing it should be a different way. It has to be a different way. And so we think meditation is about that. But I'd, I'd argue that, that actually one of the main things you're trying to do in meditation is just understand the present moment for what it is and to be able to let it go. Whether the present moment's good or whether the present moment's bad, you're trying to train just to actually let this present moment go. And, you know, what do I, what do I mean by that? It's, well, if you think what, what, what actually is the present moment, what it is, it's a, it's a short series uh, of, of time spaces. And that's all we ever really have. The, the time space we experience now shifts into the, into the past. So every, the present moment is every new moment. So what we're trying to do in meditation is actually to, to begin again anew at every new moment. At every moment that passes by, we start again. We reestablish ourselves again. People get confused when you say, how do you let go? How do you let go of your attachments? How do you, I don't get this kind of, you know, letting go of uh, seeing things arise and pass in the present and letting them go. Well, if you think of some kind of negative mind state that arises, you get angry. The, the thought arises in the present that I can't believe he said that to me. That arises there in the present. But then what happens is that slips into the past, that slips into the previous moment. But then again, you think, how dare he say something like that to me? Who does he actually think he is? Why does, why does he actually think he can say that to me? Uh, I'm, next time I see him, I'm going to tell him a piece of my mind. And all the time, this is slipping further into the, fu into the past. You think again, oh, actually, no, I'm meant to be like practicing Dharma and meditating. I'm meant to be calm and compassionate. I, I shouldn't be thinking like this. And all this time, this initial thought that you've had, slipped into the past but you're still holding on to it you're still feeding it you're still feeding it up to the point now again you're only ever experiencing a short window of time in the present but you're still holding on to that and that's why we have problems with meditation when we actually try to practice uh, meditation we think that meditation is about you know focusing our awareness on the breath in the present moment and we think if we can do this, if we can do this one thing, that we're going to be okay, that we're doing it right, that we're actually succeeding in meditation. So what obviously happens is we establish our awareness anew in the present, establish it there. But obviously what happens? The mind wanders off, wanders off, wanders off, wanders off, gets lost in thought, 
And at this point, we realize, oh, hang on, I'm meant to be meditating. And again, we get critical. But why are we getting critical? Is because we're worried about these points in time that we've missed. We're worried about this point here. We become despondent at this point here. But I'd actually, I'd actually say that instead of thinking, most people think at this point, this is the point where you failed. Most people think when I've, when I've realized I'm lost in thought, I've lost all this time, and so I'm, this is why I can't meditate. I'd actually say the flip side of that, the alternate to that. This is actually the point that you've succeeded in meditation. This is actually the point where you're doing what you're meant to be doing. The process of meditation is to, you know, wake up from this dreamlike state of being lost in thought and becoming mindful again. So every time that you do that, every time you realize that you've become mindful again, this is what you're actually meant to be doing. This is the skill that you're actually trying to develop. This is the actual thing that you are trying to do when you take on some kind of meditation practice is to wake up and to start again. And so instead of thinking that this is the point of failure, you actually, it's better to think of this point as the point at where you're actually succeeding. If you, if you compare it to like, like developing some kind of physical skill or physical strength, this is, this is the, this is the, the, the extra push up that you do. This is the extra, lift of the weights this is the extra like run around the track lap around the track or whatever this is the point where you're actually your mindfulness is getting stronger because you've been able to realize that you've been lost and you come back again and so so the reason we suffer in our meditation and um, because of meditation is because we want the present to be a different way we want it to be something else that it's not. And we're always judging that by what we've experienced in the past. And so it's much better in meditation to actually just accept the present for what it is and to start again and to begin again anew. And so to think that this point, that this point here that we think where we're failing, this is actually the point where you're actually succeeding. And so this is, this isn't something that just happens in meditation. You know, you do a, you do a 10 minute meditation. And mind runs off and comes back. And, and then this isn't just something that you're doing for that. This is something if you're doing a longer meditation, a 30-minute, an hour, a two hours, three hours, five hours, six hours of meditation. This is the thing you're doing if you're, on a, if you're on a retreat. This is the thing you're doing if you've taken up a meditation practice and you're doing it over months and years. You're doing this same thing. You're trying to establish your mindfulness, begin again in the present, it wanders off, you realize it's wandered off, and you start again. This is all you're doing over a long period of time, through the rest of your life. And so this isn't just something that comes about through, just comes about in your meditation. This is actually, this is what happens in your whole life. This is everything about your life. Just say if you decide, you, you think that you're like, a, like an angry or a critical person and you snap at people and you think, oh, actually, no, I want to be kinder and more uh, nicer to people and I want to treat people well. You think, okay, well, I need, to, I need to be nice to people. And so, you know, the first day after you decide to do that, you try to be nice to people and it feels weird and it's, you, 
it's like I feel disingenuous. This is terrible. <laughs> and you know, but you, but you struggle against it a little bit, and then all of a sudden you snap at someone. You snap at them again. You 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 berate them. You 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 say something critical to them. And again, it's like this point. You've fallen off. You've fallen down again. And most people at this point say, oh, well, I'm just a nasty person. I'm just, I'm just a nasty person. I can't change. But again, I'd argue that you've realized that you've fallen off here. So what do you do? You start again. You try again. You continue to keep trying again. And you just do this over and over in your life. And this happens in every situation in our life. If we trying to keep some kind of ethical, ethical conduct, you know, you, you decide to live your life ethically in one particular way. You fall off. You berate yourself for a little while, but then you come back and you start again. And so this, this is not something we can just do once in a five minute meditation. This is something that goes throughout all aspects of our lives this is this is this is everything in our lives and so this is something that we just have to continue to do even though there's a lot of sometimes a lot of suffering in it sometimes there's the 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 negative aspects of that come up and so i think it's something we have to continue to do and so why I get. I guess maybe that brings up a question of like, well, why? Why would you bother doing that? That just seems so much like it's so much work. It's 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 really hard. It's really hard to like take up a meditation practice or to to improve yourself. This is actually really hard work. So why shouldn't I just like let it all go and just pff, yeah? I'll just I'll just be nasty. I'll be I'll be I'll be moody. I'll be grumpy. I'll be uh, like I I don't care if I never get peace. Like so, there. I think I think a good way to explain this is is and this this may be like this mightn't be a, something that you're ever really going to hear a Buddhist monk talk about um anybody that knows me knows that i'm i'm sort of really into ancient mythology and um and history and things like that and i i really i one of my favorite things is to uh, uh read like the greek myths and greek stories and so there's and also obviously also the buddhist ones and things like that as well and so there's a there's a story in ancient greek mythology about a man named sisyphus and most of us, most of us might know about Sisyphus and he's pushing the boulder up the hill. Um, and, you know, most of us have an interpretation of, oh, well, this is Sisyphus's punishment. But I've been, like, I've read this story, like, I don't know how many times. And there's something about it that it actually speaks to something about our own existence and especially with a practice like meditation, um, that, it, it really it exemplifies something, and so maybe you know you might need a little bit of context for it. So you're going to have to indulge me. I'm going to I'm going to retell it a little bit, um, and maybe tell you that some of the parts that you don't know about it. So for anyone that doesn't know, Sisyphus was a king in ancient Greece in Corinth, and Sisyphus was a man that was he was you know crafty and tricky and manipulative, and in um, but but also with these kinds of people, you know, it's like well they're they have this kind of intelligence. They have this kind of drive. They have this kind of character about them where they're, where they're 
you know, not willing to just settle for anything and they're willing to do whatever they can to, to change that. And so that's, in a way, it's like while they act terribly, there's something admirable in their actions in the way that they're going about it. So anyway, through Sisyphus being sort of manipulative and cunning and all these kinds of things, the gods actually deemed Sisyphus that he should die. And so they sent Thanatos down to take Sisyphus down into the underworld. Now Thanatos was the is like the lord of death, and the way Thanatos would take people down is he, he had these uh, like enchanted handcuffs. Put the handcuffs on him. Uh, uh, put the, once you put the handcuffs on, you couldn't get out of them, and and Thanatos took you down into the underworld. And you know, but Sisyphus, he like he's, he wasn't going to fall for that straight away. So he actually. Sisyphus actually tricked Thanatos into putting the handcuffs on himself. And he tricked him into that. But not only that, he like, like kicked him and threw him into a cupboard. And so you know, Sisyphus already, just once, he cheated death. He cheated death and he'd gone against the will of the gods. And, but obviously he's just throwing the, the Lord of Death is just like locked in his, in his like, close hamper kind of thing. He realizes, okay, that's not going to last long. I'm going to have to do something about that. So Sisyphus goes to his wife and says to his wife, his wife loved him a lot and said, you know, I'm going to die soon. So any of the, the funeral rites and the offerings to the gods uh, and the, the, all the, the funeral libations don't make any of those when I die. Just throw me out into the street. And she was obviously, she was horrified by that, he, but he made a promise to do that. And so she promised to do that. Anyway, a few days passed. The Lord, the Lord of Death is still locked in the cupboard. And so all the Greek gods, they, they get together. Where's the Lord of Death? They find where he is. They let him out. And obviously now it's time for Sisyphus to go. And so they're like, and Sisyphus, he complies this time. Okay, Tanatos, put me in the handcuffs. Take me down. Of course I can't trick you again. And and he and Thanatos takes Sisyphus down into the underworld. Now, uh, just quickly with with the underworld in ancient Greek mythology, it's it's not it's not exactly like like say for example like a Buddhist conception where there's different realms. Uh, the underworld in Greek mythology, it's like it's all one place, but there's different areas. There's different areas of it where maybe more pious people go, or more you know not so pious people go. But anyway. Um, so Thanatos took Sisyphus down and got him to the river Styx, which was like the entrance to get through. And But because Sisyphus's wife hadn't done any of the libations towards the gods, he didn't have the, he couldn't, like he didn't have the money to get in and, and cross on the boat. So they threw him into the river. Threw him into the river and he had to like swim across the river Styx into the underworld. And so when he got there, got out, like the river Styx is, terrible and dark and cold and all these kinds of things but he was all like mangled up and ripped up because his so his shade was all mangled up and ripped up because his wife had thrown him out into the street and so he's all ripped up and so but he goes to Persephone who is the queen of the underworld and she's Persephone and, and Hades were the king and the queen of the underworld and Persephone was you know obviously appalled what's this mangly guy doing in front of me and Sisyphus uh pleaded with Persephone, he said, the reason I look like this is because my wife is such a mean and terrible woman and that she, you know, 
as I was dying, I heard her say, I'm so glad that I'm rid of him. He's, he's the worst husband ever. There's no need for us to make any libations to the gods. There's no need for me to make any offerings to Persephone or to Hades. She's such a, she hated me so much and she, she doesn't like the gods. This obviously, it enraged Persephone. She's like, well, your wife has to be punished. And he's like, yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. But you know what the best way to punish her would be? And she's like, oh, what? If you sent me back up there with her and you and I had to stay with her, this would enrage her. She hates me so much that that would enrage her so much. But not just that, that I was younger and stronger again and I could live like a long, long life with her. That would be the most suffering that she could ever imagine. And so Persephone is like, that's a great idea, and sent him, sent him back send him back there and you know obviously again sisyphus has cheated death and he's tricked the gods he's gone against the gods he's outsmarted the gods and so you know sisyphus leads another another long and very prosperous life and you know obviously he gets to the end of it there has to be a time where he's going to die again now so he's led like another 50 or 60 years and all the gods in uh, Mount Olympus got together and said, right, right, we've got to get him down in the underworld this time. Like, we can't, we can't mess this up again. So they sent, uh, Hermes down. Now Hermes was like the, like the trickster god, the, uh, you know, he was really intelligent, crafty, all these kinds of things. So if anybody was a match for Sisyphus, it was Hermes. And Hermes was, you know, very quick witted and was able to, you know, trick people in many ways. So they got Hermes to take Sisyphus down into the underworld. And Hermes you know, took him down and sort of stroked his ego a little bit. He's like, oh, Sisyphus, you're, you know, you're somebody after my own heart. You're really, you know, you've, you've, you've tricked the gods so many times. This is really admirable. So what the gods have decided is that you can actually spend your underworld existence in a place called Elysium, which was like the nice part of the underworld. It's, and that's where all the, you know, the pious and good and boring people go <laughs> to spend eternity. And Sisyphus was like, oh, that's, that's not going to be any fun. Why would I do that? So Hermes said to him, he's like, well, there's another option, but you have to pass a test. And, and Sisyphus was like, okay, well, what's that? He's like, we can, you, we can give you immortality just like the gods. We can give you immortality, but not just immortality, but immortality uh, among humans. And so you can be a king. And actually, this is what all the Greek gods in the pantheon, that's what they all wanted. They wanted immortality, but they wanted to be among, be among humans. So Hermes offered this to him. He's like, this is the highest thing that you can ever possibly get. And obviously Sisyphus is like, yeah, that's, that's great. Well, what do I have to do? And Hermes said to him, well, it's you know, not that hard. You just have to push this boulder up the hill. If you can get that boulder up the hill, then you'll have immortality. And not just immortality, but the highest kind of immortality. And uh, he said, but the only thing is, the only catch about this is, is you, you have to keep trying to push it up there. You, you can't stop until you actually get it up the top. And so Sisyphus was like, yeah, okay, well, it's a big boulder. It's not a big, too big of a hill. I think I can do that. Started to push it up, pushing it all the way up. Got it all the way, almost all the way up there. But, you know, now you probably know the story. This is the part where Hermes tricked him. 
and the boulder was actually enchanted. And so as soon as he got it up near the top, it would just roll back down. And so Sisyphus has to come back down and push it back up again. And it gets near the top, rolls back down, has to go back up again. And so they say that Sisyphus is still in Tartarus at this time, actually pushing the rock up. And so, so you know, most of us look at that story and go, okay, well, that's, you know, that's Sisyphus's punishment. This, this, is, this is Sisyphus's punishment for, you know, trying to go against fate. This is Sisyphus's punishment for trying to outwit you know, outwit the gods or to, and, or to be living with hubris. But for me, that, like, there's something, there's something else about this story that, that I, it's, I don't think it's just as simple as that. It really, this story, there's something about this story that speaks to when you take on a meditation practice or when you take on the, you could say, like the highest goal of Buddhism. You know, the highest goal of Buddhism is for us to become enlightened and to become, to, to strive towards the highest thing in life, to Nibbana. Um, this is something that, you know, this is what we all come into this for. Um, the highest thing, we want, we want to get above, you know, want to go beyond the cycle of birth and death. So just like Sisyphus, who wanted not just a normal, you know, you know normal, you know, like good existence in Elysium. He didn't just want to settle for something like comfortable. Like it's the same with us. We don't want to just settle for something. Com we don't want to just go out to the cafe in the morning and, you know, have brunch and, you know, do all these things. It's like we don't want to settle for something like that that's that easy. We don't just want to sit at home and watch Netflix or whatever. We've decided we want to go for something higher. We don't just want this base kind of pleasure. And so the way we do that is by undertaking some kind of practice. We have to take up some kind of burden to do that. Just like Sisyphus. Sisyphus wanted immortality among, among, among humans, but he had to take up a burden to actually do that. And it's a seemingly impossible burden. It's seemingly something where he has to continue just to start again. And it's like us with our meditation. This, we want enlightenment. We want Peace, calm, clarity, understanding. We want, we want, we want this, these uh, joyous states of minds. We want uh, understanding into the nature of existence. But to do that, we have to take up this kind of practice. We have to take up this practice that seems like, at times it seems like a punishment. At times it seems like it's laborious. At times it seems like you're not really getting anywhere. At times it seems like you're getting somewhere. You're almost at the top. You're almost there. And then it all falls away. And you just have to start again. And that just keeps happening and keeps happening. So you might think, well, again, like, why, well, why would I do something like that? That just seems ridiculous. Like, why would I do something that's, why would I do something that's, that's seemingly impossible? That's seemingly, you know, you know, meaningless and it's, it's absurd. You're just doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. Well, it's because you know that there's something higher there from that. You know that there's something more beyond just the simple suffering that you have to go through to actually do it. You know it's something you're working towards something higher. There's, a, uh, there's an interpretation of the myth of Sisyphus by a, a French philosopher called Albert Camus, and he 
said that he and he used the myth of Sisyphus to outline the absurdity and the meaninglessness of life where you you know you're just in a like a cycle kind of thing and but his argument at the end is is like we shouldn't see Sisyphus as somebody that's that's spiteful or 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 despondent because he has to take up this burden we should see Sisyphus as somebody that has found meaning in this thing that he's doing He's found meaning in something and trying to move towards the highest level. And this is the same with us, with our meditation practice. Although it might seem laborious, although it might seem like you encounter obstacles, although it might seem like you, you're, you know, not making progress, although it might seem like all these uh, problems are there, we have to keep going because we know it's going to actually lead to something. And so I think, I think thinking about that is that these are the things that will keep us going because there are these positive, obviously there are the positive aspects to meditation. Um, and, and that positive aspect is uh, finally leading us to enlightenment. So every time, you know, every time that we fall off, every time that we fall off and we have to start again, you're getting one step closer to enlightenment. You're getting one step closer to calm. You're getting one step closer to wisdom because you're able to let go of the past and just to start again and to keep going again. And the more you do this, you know, the closer and closer you'll actually get to, to the actual goal that you're trying to get to with meditation. So maybe that's enough of me rambling on about Greek myths and, and all these kinds of things. So, uh, yeah, hopefully anything I've said this morning has hopefully been beneficial in some way. Um, uh, hopefully you've able to take something out of it that's that's good um and if if not well uh if there's something that you didn't understand or you want to ask me about maybe probably now's a good time to ask some questions so yeah would anyone like to come up to the microphone before we take online questions Yeah. Morning, Bhante. Morning. My question is about meditation. Yes. Um, with, I find it very difficult. How about with um, chanting behind or music or something like that? Will that help? Hmm. Yeah, so the question is, obviously meditation can be difficult. Uh, what's, uh, you know, can we use uh, other tools as well, like chanting or, or a talk behind or something to help with the meditation? And yeah, totally. It's, um, you have to find, you have to really find what works for you. Like there's many different ways to actually meditate. So if you, if you find that, that listening to chanting when you're you know, sitting meditation or walking or something like that, that this that this helps focus your mind, then you know that's then it's the right thing to do. Um, some people some people like doing that, and if it works for you, yeah, you should do it. Other people maybe it doesn't work for them, so you know there's no need for them to actually do it. But if you if you actually do this and it, it, it helps you with your meditation, helps keeps you focused, helps make you more aware of the present, then that's you know, that's the right thing to do. So you can yeah, for sure you can do it. A lot of um my my teacher, Ajahn Anand, he actually recommends doing things like that. Say for example, um if you're 
you know, the mind won't settle down or, or that we're you know, thinking a lot. He recommends that actually one thing you can do is, is, is do chanting at that time if the mind is too agitated. You can either do you know, external chanting, you chant, chant out loud, or maybe you can just chant internally. So you go over, go over one of the chants and just go over and over and over and over it. Or, you know, as you said, listen to it or something. Um, the more you do that and the more you'll be able to, in a way, rein your mind in a little bit more. So, yeah, it's it's more than it's more than fine to do that. Many monks, you know, sit and will sit, will listen to talks as a form of meditation. So, yeah, there's nothing wrong with doing it at all. Okay, mm. thank you, Bunny. <laughs> the about the suffering you first talked about yeah. during the meditation, mm. and also the suffering of the the. Chap, uh, Greek uh, mythological chap mm. who tried to liberate by doing task suffering. Mm. Now, first about the meditation. Uh, now, when you embark on meditation as a new meditator, mm. uh, you may have given got the instructions from the teacher. Mm. Your mind is always going all over the place. Mm. You may not be aware of that. Mind is running around. And uh, when you start try to concentrate on your breath or whatever, you slow it down. Mm. That is the time you realize that things are moving. Mm. Because uh, at normal times, it's moving so fast in mm. every direction. You even don't know there's a mind. Uh, but uh, when you try to concentrate, you know that where it's going. Mm. But the meditation teacher says, don't worry about that. You can bring it back and that's okay. That's normal. Mm. So you won't get frustrated. But also the advantage is that now you know that because you are getting some concentration only, mm. that you are mindful of this moment. Mm. So you are now getting mindful. Mm. You are getting somewhere. Don't you worry. That is, after all, meditation is all about try, train, try to train your mind to be mindful. Mm. So they are achieving. Mm. So if you go by that principle, I think there is no need to be frustrated at all. Mm. So that is you are doing something, mm. achieving, and eventually you will practice well enough to be able to concentrate and be mindful all the time. Mm. So suffering is not, frustration won't be that much. Then the other chap, the Greek mythological character, he tried to liberate himself mm. by doing the hard task of rolling up a boulder up the hill. Mm. But the Buddhist practice, there are other ways of liberating yourself. Mm. You can't be think of dukkha, 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 mm. and try to do all the, like Hindus do, Mm. They try to walk on fire and have uh, nails put in the t tongue and body mm. and swing and uh, swing and all that. Mm. That's a Hindu way of doing it. Mm. Suffer and suffer and mm. kill all my sins mm. till I get liberated. Mm. Buddha has a different approach. Sorry? Buddha had a different approach. Mm. He mentioned Dukkha as a, as a fact of life. Mm. But you can liberate by mm. developing a mind mm. to understand that there is no person personality there mm. to be liberated mm. so on that route you have you can go through very in a different way mm. not with so much of hardship mm. that's my comment yeah you know like the, with with something say for example with sisyphus it's it's not about it's not about that you know he's uh, trying to do something that that is causing him suffering so he can so he can get to the the, the cessation of suffering it's just that it's that it's a part of it, that the task that you're actually doing is a part 
of stories, the, the suffering that you're actually going through is a part of the task. So with something like meditation, yeah, it's, you know, it's, you're you're obviously what that's what you're trying to do you're trying to realize suffering and and uh, uh see it for what it is and you're trying to develop the mind you're trying to start to get calm in the mind and this is obviously what you're doing but there there's also in within that there's also suffering that comes about through it as well like you know i'm sitting here for a while now i'm starting to get you know pains in my leg is <laughs> there's some kind of suffering there um so it's more it's more not about Putting yourself, it's not about putting yourself in suffering so you can go beyond suffering. It's about knowing that the task that you will undertake involves some suffering and that this is a very normal, this is a very normal thing to happen. Um, because, as I said before, most people think meditation is about you know, you know, f feeling better, becoming calm, all these kinds of things. And uh, a lot of the time they don't realize that there, there are there are difficulties there. There's, there's difficulties in your meditation practice. And just to know that, that it's very normal for that to, to happen, there are there are going to be difficulties in it. It's not this kind of, you know, not this sort of like, uh, you know, sitting there and, you know, birds are going to be landing on your shoulders and, you know, there's, you know, it's like it's like a Disney cartoon or something and you're happy and, like, it's it's not always just like that, that, that there is some kind of suffering involved there. So, uh, yeah, it is, yeah, you don't want to go that other way of pushing yourself so hard that you're just suffering because of it you have to you know you have to know you have to know your limitations you don't want to be doing something where you're just you're just pushing yourself into suffering to try to get over suffering but just more accepting that suffering is a part of the process hmm. morning morning just uh, uh, curious um what the role of uh, prayer plays in um, Buddhist meditation. The mm. reason I ask is because, like, I I was raised a Catholic, mm. so you know, from the the Catholic perspective, prayer was a very simple concept. Mm. Like you you're having a, a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ, yep. you know. So mm. it's a very simple um, concept for a kid to understand. Mm. With Buddhism, um, you know, since I've taken refuge um I, i've because of that i think i've had some confusion about the role of prayer in buddhism mm -hmm. because you know as i understand it the buddha left existence i suppose so like mm -hmm. what would i be um having a relationship with in prayer like what's the role of prayer in, in meditation so how, how would you define prayer of what you're uh, conceiving it of now from yeah. a Buddhist perspective? Um, so I, I guess the way that I'm conceiving of prayer is that it, it's something that it's, it's some, some sort of way of communicating, like forming a relationship with or communicating with some sort of higher power. But mm. in, in, you know, since I became a Buddhist, there's, there's not really that yeah. concept for me, I suppose, mm -hmm. in this religion. Mm. So I, I I don't quite understand the role of prayer in mm. Buddhism, I guess, from right. just be, just because of my yep. childhood context. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think there's a few there's a few ways to answer this, and there's a few there's a few different steps along the way to actually answer this. So, you know, over overall in the and and probably what has confused you so far about this is one of one of the things that the buddha 
talked about is that you can't, you know, any kind of refuge that you take on externally is, you know, that's not going to be the cause for you to become liberated. This is something that you have to strive towards yourself. You can't go for, um, you can't rely on another being to become liberated for you. This is something that you have to work for yourself. And so that can bring up the, you know, the thought of like, oh, well, there's nothing for me to hold on to. There's nothing for me to, you know, strive towards. So, so for a Buddhist, we have the, you know, the idea that, well, what we're striving towards, what we're, what we're trying to unify ourselves with in some way is, is Nibbana, is enlightenment. But that's an abstract concept. It's like, well, okay, what's Nibbana? I don't get it. It's like, is it a place? Is it a, like, is it a mind state? <laughs> There's all these kinds of things. So, so for a Buddhist, it, it can take a while for you to, gain faith in that in that concept of nibbana um but and that is something that comes through the practice and when you start to you know develop some calm and wisdom in the mind it's like okay well there's this thing that i know that i'm moving towards so it it, it becomes a little bit more solid now so that's the overarching that's the overarching thing that we're going for and if we're going to have some kind of prayer in that way it's like well that's the ideal that we're moving towards the ideal mental state that we're trying to develop, um, but you can't like pray for that. You can't go, oh, yeah, I, you know, I just I hope that this is going to happen, and <laughs> you know, please, if I do all the right things, will I please get nibbana? It's like it's not going to obviously work like that. So there are these other aspects where we say, for example, we did the chanting before. And we're recollecting the qualities of the Buddha, the qualities of the Dhamma, the qualities of the Sangha. And so this is what we say we can use as a, as a kind of refuge and a kind of recollection. So we're not necessarily asking the Buddha, the Dhamma or the Sangha to you know, help us in these things. But inadvertently we are in that, well, the Dhamma is the thing, the teachings are the thing that can uh, give me insight and clarity in my life. So in a way, I'm, I'm revering that. I'm, I'm asking that for help. I'm asking the Dhamma for help in the way to live my life. I get confused about teachings and all these kinds of things. So I go and ask the Sangha about my points of confusion. Uh, and the Buddha is somebody that you're actually achieved achieve this thing that I that I think I'm after so I revere that in some way so in a way you you do you do have that kind of reverence and that communication with these three aspects but it's not you know it's not like prayer in the traditional sense so that's the that's the second way that you can have the buddha the dhamma the sangha and it's like a form of prayer but you're 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 relying on them you're more going to refuge with them the Third way to think about they think about prayer in terms of a Buddhist con, um, in a Buddhist conception is that because you're not trying to get some kind of unified unif unification with an externalized being at the end of this, what you're trying to do is to develop that state of of nibbana. Um, you're trying to get towards that, so. To get to that, you need to go inside to actually realize that. This is not, again, this is not something that can be given to you from outside. This is something you have to realize within yourself. So in a way, you have to be in constant 
communion with yourself. You know, yourself, you, you know, you are your own refuge. You know, that's what the Buddha actually said, that you, you, know, you can make yourself your own refuge. And so you're in this constant, constant flux of being in communion with your own self and asking yourself and, you know, asking yourself for help. Why, you know, why am I, you know, why am I angry now? What, what's actually happening here? Why, why, or why is this thing out in the world? Why has that happened to me? And why am I reacting in this way? So in that way, you're trying to, you're trying to figure that out as well through a form of prayer you could say it's a, it's a loose definition of prayer but it's it's um you're you're really trying to you're really trying to go to refuge and take refuge in the dhamma that this will be the way for you to understand this and this dhamma is something that will arise within your own mind and so you have to rely on yourself and you have to commune with yourself to understand this and understand why you're suffering and understand why bad things are happening or understand why you know why you're why you're so fortunate why you're so blessed so the prayer in this third sense it's a, it's a it's a prayer it's a prayer to yourself and it's a prayer within yourself towards your own towards understanding your own psyche so there are these different aspects where we can say well this you're 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 performing some kind of prayer but it's not the prayer in the traditional sense that that you know that you were brought up with that that it's an externalized thing that can help you it really the prayers always really come back to you developing these qualities within yourself and trying to you know instead of asking for them to come from outside to work out how to develop them from inside so it's kind of like asking for inspiration to become more like yeah like the ideal yeah mm, 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 okay. yeah Thanks for sure yeah. hey if um <clears throat> if meditation and the point of it is to sort of be in the present mm. and not think about the past and the future where mm. does gratefulness and gratitude yeah come into that mm. well it's you know, it, it's one thing to say meditation is just about being in the present and, you know, like it's, it, but that's, you know, like you, it, it's, it's pretty hard to do, <laughs> to do that all the time. So it's not, well, that's a pretty common conceptualization of what meditation is. And that's, you know, basically just what I railed on about for 40 minutes or whatever it was. It's not the only part of it. It's what you're aiming towards, but it's not the only part of it. You do have to, um, you do have to develop wholesome states of mind as well. Try to, you know, actively develop wholesome states of mind as well. So it's the, just being in the present is just one facet of it. But it's, as I said, it's hard to do that all the time. So the times where you are a little bit more overactive, that is a good time to be, you know, actively trying to develop things like gratitude and, and, uh, and forgiveness and all these things. So it's not like, it's not like if we're just always just in the present that this is going to this is the thing that we're exactly going for. We still do have to develop those kinds of qualities. You still have to interact in the world. You, know, you still have to interact with other people. You still have to move throughout the world. Um, you're going to get lost in thought times. So uh, you're going to have to come up against different things. So you do have to have many different tools in your toolkit to actually deal with that and just being in the present moment is one of them it's the central one 
it's the it's the main thing you want, but you also do need these other things as well to to deal with it. So so one thing, an extra thing to say on top of that is we trying to develop wholesome qualities in the mind, like as you said, like gratitude. Now, one can be imbued with gratitude and have gratitude and develop gratitude and still be in the present moment with that. So you can really, you can be grateful, but not, you can be grateful and really sink into that experience in the present moment. Really, you know, make that, imbue that quality within the present moment and really actually experience and feel it. Because you say, for example, you might think, oh, I should be, you know, somebody does something nice to me. Oh, I should be grateful to them. They've done this nice thing for me. So, uh, yeah, I should, yeah, I should, you know, pay them back in some way. And we just reflexively go, well, thanks, you know, or we give them a present or something. But it's can sometimes be superficial, the, the gratefulness that we actually have to people. But if we're developing gratitude in that sense and really being in the present moment and really sort of like sinking into it, it's like you're, the way that you're grateful towards another person, it has more meaning. Does that... Just to understand that, let's just say if you're grateful for the past and you're mm. living in the past, yep. you're more saying that you get to experience it in the present. You experience that gratefulness of a past instance now, and that's what you're. That's being in the present still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, can, you can still do that. Like, say for example, you know, uh, you're you're very grateful for somebody that helped you in the past and recollecting yeah. that. You you know, you're still in the present, recollecting this person that helped you in the past. And you're still really grateful for that, but and that is the experience that you're having in the present. Mm. While you're still you're thinking about the, it's it's sort of a bit of an oxymoron, but yeah. it's it's like you can still be doing that. You can still be thinking of the past. You can still have that image of of the past in the mind, in the present, and be aware of that in the present, and be grateful for that in the present, and to think, well, this was this thing that happened to me. You know, I'm very grateful. You know, I'm very grateful for this person that helped me. But you're still, you're still in the present. You're not just a like, you know, just sort of like lost in thought with it. So, yeah, it, it can be, it can be like a, it can be hard to explain sometimes. But did, did that make sense? Or it, it did. It did. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Cool. I confuse myself sometimes when I, you know, the more I speak, the more I confuse myself. <laughs> Ajahn, we have um, three online questions. Mm. So first, the first one is, is there a difference between desiring something like enlightenment and, desire, and the desire that is a hindrance in the path? Yeah, for sure. Um, to move towards enlightenment, one does need to put in some form of effort and one does need to put in some, one does need to have some form of drive to actually do that, to actually to to yeah, like like the story to to take up this burdensome thing that you're going to do with meditation and to take that up to move towards enlightenment so there does need to be some kind of desire there to do that um and you'd say that that's a that's a wholesome desire that's moving you know just in general that's moving you in the right direction but say for example you have a different kind of desire like the you know, desire to I don't know like eat ice cream and and watch Netflix or something like that kind of desire it's not really it's not really improving your life in any way so but you know you still might 
people still might follow it. So you have to work out what are the what are the kinds of desires that are going to help improve you and what are the kinds of desires that are going to be detrimental to you. And we do, to an extent, have to follow some of those more wholesome desires and we have to put forth some kind of effort to uh, you know, move towards these more wholesome states and move towards the more wholesome states of enlightenment. Um, and it's a skillful means for us to move forward, but it doesn't mean that we should be you know, we should be overly obsessed with, okay, I have to get enlightened. I have to become, you know, I have to, you know, I, I have to do this. I have to do this like really quick. I, you know, this is everything for me. I have to, this is the only thing I have to do. If you're doing something like that, that can be counterproductive. That can be, that can in a way just be pulling you in the wrong direction. So one has to have the desire to, move towards enlightenment and to you know actually really you know improve oneself in some way and know that this is a wholesome desire and you know act upon that but not be too you know caught up in the desire to actually do that thing but more actually use the desire to move one in that direction and those those kinds of desires that that are you know, not so wholesome and pushing you off the path they're the they're the ones you have to try to let go of and and not not to not to engage in does that make sense yep thank you Ajahn our second question here is um, is anapana meditation the best one to attain higher jhanas I don't know <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I don't know it depends it's uh, you know for, for one person it might be for the next person it might not be it's um Again, it, uh, I've sort of harped on about this a fair bit, but it really is—it really is about the individual and what works for the individual. If if you feel that anapana is the is a practice, uh, so anapana is just watching the breath, mindfulness of breathing. If you feel anapana makes the mind calm, and, and you have experience with it actually working, then keep at it. You know, keep at it and keep. Uh, trying to develop it more and more until you can actually get to these points of the jhanas. But say, for example, maybe 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 anapana isn't like a, a, a suitable practice for a, another person. They might, you know, I've I've talked to many people that feel like when they watch the breath, they they feel like agitated or they feel uh, they feel a sense of claustrophobia or. Or, or anxiety when they're like dropping away all their senses and actually just focusing on this one thing. So for somebody like that, that would mean that anapana isn't the best thing for them to actually get the jhanas because all it's actually doing is making them more neurotic and agitated. So it really, it it really depends on the individual and how well they practice. Um, and but you know, obviously the Buddha did recommend it as a as uh, uh, a good technique to actually achieve the jhanas eventually. So it is something that, that can work, um, but it just really depends on the individual whether they, whether they actually can actually make it work. So, um, yeah, if it's, if it's working for you, like, keep doing it. Like, it's, yeah, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's, if it's going to get you the jhanas, but just yeah, if it's working so far, just keep at it. So. 
Thank you, Hajan. I have a question myself. Yeah. Um, I started um, my meditation techniques from the Goanka, the yeah, yeah. um, yeah. style meditation. Yeah, that's, that's the meditation retreat yeah. I ran away from. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, I, yeah. and I actually, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't quite run away, but I certainly did want to run away. Yeah. It was. Um, I came back, by the way. I forgot yeah. to have that part of the story. I did come back. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, go on. But one of the one of the difficulties. Um, I experienced is actually it, there was a lot of difficulties during the retreat mm. with anxiety mm. coming up and just uh, panic attacks mm. coming up. Mm. But after I finished the retreat, mm. I found that in certain business situations where I'm giving a presentation or mm. whatever, I, previous to that, I'd be there's a, le- there's a level of nervousness mm. before you start your presentation. Mm. But I found that after I'd done the Go Anchor retreat, I can go into full-blown panic attacks. Mm. Right? Um, mm. So this become really, really sensitive, mm. extraordinarily sensitive mm. to um, certain sensations in my body. Mm. I mean, I still, um, I, it's not like I, I've got over it, but mm. it, it's still there. It, it can happen. Mm. Um, but I've found that um, not trying to fix it, mm. because once I try to fix it, I go into just a, it just goes spirals completely out of control. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, it's one of the difficulties that I've experienced out of meditation. Mm. It's not so much in the meditation; it's just off the cushion. Yeah, yeah. And that's you know, uh, and that's where um, one has to like develop a balance there because you know, for for some people, like you know, doing you know intense ten day retreat kind of thing, and then or or a particular kind of technique that you might be using. So, and, and I'm not saying. The Goenka technique does this for everyone, but you know maybe there's a particular kind of technique where you're you're looking at your 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 bodily uh, signals, your 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 sensations in your body, and what you're doing is you become hyper aware of that. And so, if panic starts to come up, and you're taught just to pay attention to the sensations, you're giving that more attention, and it's actually like it can actually ramp the whole thing up. So. Obviously, the the uh, the objective of that practice is to observe the sensations and to just let them arise and pass away. But for some people, it can make them worse. It can make it. It can, as I said, it you you have this this, this hyper hyper sense of like solipsistic experience where all that is happening is the sensations. And you're paying more attention. They just worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. So, if you find something like that. Um, uh, is happening that's when you go okay well maybe that kind of practice isn't right for me maybe i should try a different kind of practice um and then you know maybe later if you've got some more more experience maybe you could come back to that okay it's okay it's still not working i still feel this way um okay switch back to the other practice um yeah eventually eventually hopefully it can get to the point where you can do any kind of meditation and you get good results from it but it's that's not always that's not always the case so we again this is why we have to find the right kind of meditation for us specifically um and yes yeah, it's, it's it's you know uh, any, any anybody that says that the, the 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 kind of meditation that they're teaching this is the one and only way to enlightenment and you know this is exactly you know this is exactly the way and if you do it do if you don't do this this way then you won't get enlightened you should run from those people because that's that's worrying <laughs> that's so it's 
everybody is different and you, you just have to know exactly what, what works for you. And if something is causing, if a particular kind of meditation is causing you more suffering, back off from it. Um, I know for, say for example, there's, there was a monk in Thailand, Lumpur Panya. Uh, he was a very senior Western monk. And, uh, he lived at a place called Wapabantad in Thailand with Long Tamahabua. And Long Tamahabua is very fierce, very, he teaches just investigate the body. Um, uh, investigate the body as something that's, that's not inherently beautiful. And he, he really, Lung Tamahabua really pushes these kinds of practices. And Lumpur Panya was one of the, as I said, very senior Western monk. And he'd actually say, well, you know, sometimes doing these specific kinds of practices can actually bring about really negative mind states. If you're just thinking about how, how loathsome the body is all the time, that can actually bring about a lot of, you know, negative mind states. So you have to balance that with something else with like a, with a practice, say, for example, of loving kindness. So it's not just that you have one technique and this is the one and only way. And this is the one and only thing you have to, sometimes you have to balance it because it might be, it might be bringing about a uh, certain kind of negative consequences. Other side of that is if you're doing something like Anapanasati, you become very, very calm, you're very peaceful, and, you, and you're able to stay in peace for a very long period of time. This is a good thing. I'll, just, I'll get that on the table first. This is a good thing. But that also can be a hindrance as well. If you just stay in calm states and don't investigate, then your practice isn't going to progress very well. So we always have to be balancing ourselves out. Um, knowing whatever practice we're doing, we might need to be developing something else. It could be we might need to develop something else because we're we're falling into some kind of negativity or we should or we need to develop something else because we're we're going positive in a in a in a particular kind of way, but that positivity is getting us stuck and complacent in some way. So yeah. Thank you, Ajahn. There is um one question one last question here. If I can find it, oh, yeah. How how can we um, how can we ask someone to forgive our actions and be at peace? Oh, it depends what you've done. Like. <laughs> humility, yeah, humility, and really having humility that you really have done the wrong thing, and really opening up to that and being very vulnerable in that situation of well yeah i did i did the wrong thing could you know, could you please forgive me if you are just doing that in the, like a superficial way of like oh come on forgive me it's in the past let's 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 move past it like uh, uh, potentially this person might be you know see through the superficiality of that and so we if we do want to ask for forgiveness um from someone we actually really we really have to be humble and we really have to be you know, willing to open ourselves enough to let people know that we're sorry for what we've actually done, that we're regretful for what we've done, that, we, that we've seen the error of our ways. And you know, whether, whether this person does immediately forgive us, you know, that's, that's out of your control. You can't, you can't, uh, you can't control the, the, the way that they're going to react. The only thing you can control is the way you yourself are setting up your own 
mind and, and the way that you're approaching uh, asking for forgiveness. If you do that in the right way and you're continually trying to work for it, even though this person maybe doesn't forgive you initially and you keep working on it again, begin again, start again, try again, keep developing that that mind state eventually you know hopefully this person will will forgive you in the end but you it really does start with the way that you're trying to do it if you just try to do it in this way of of uh, come on it's in the past let's 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 get over it come on don't stop being so stop being so stupid don't no, don't hold on to the past you know that's it's going to annoy the person obviously so we we are the ones that really actually need to, to, to make the change. We're the ones that really need to be humble and realize that we've been at fault and to take responsibility for that. And if we can take responsibility for that, this other person, they mightn't get it right away, but eventually they'll see that you've, you've, you are, you are remorseful for your actions. You are, you've taken responsibility for them. And, you know, eventually, hopefully that they will forgive you, but, uh, even if they don't, even if this person doesn't actually forgive you, that's um, that's not something that you should be concerned about. What you should be concerned about is is correcting your own behavior and owning your own behavior and being responsible for your own behavior and being remorseful for any behavior that actually was impacted somebody in that way because that's the only way that you as the individual are going to 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 grow from that um, if you don't have that then you know the the asking for forgiveness means nothing Any other last questions? We've got a few minutes left. You can just sing them out. You don't have to come up to the microphone. I can repeat it if you just, you don't feel like coming up to the mic. Yep. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Compliments always good. <laughs> yeah. As I said, hopefully, you know, hopefully, uh, anything I say, hopefully you, you, you get something out of it. Um, I, I, I ramble a lot. So like uh, there's plenty of times I say things and it's like, that doesn't make sense. That's, <laughs> he's, he's contradicting himself. He's, <laughs> You know, that's, a, that's sort of like that's a part of it, and um, you know, I, I, I uh, speaking of forgiveness, you know, I ask for forgiveness of all of you if I say something that's like, oh, that doesn't make that's wrong, that that doesn't make sense. So, it's um, yeah, it's that's really what actually you know, that's what we're that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, as, as I was saying in the talk, you do something, you think it's right, and maybe it it falls. And you make mistakes and you have to start again. So uh, it's not like my talks uh, are infallible founts of pure knowledge and wisdom that there's nothing wrong with them. It's like, oh, I say things that are wrong sometimes. Like it's, you know, I, I forget, I forget so many things. It's uh, so it's, it's, yeah, I, I, I do ask for all your forgiveness if I, if I say anything, it's like, hey, he's, that's wrong. Like it's, it's fine. You know, if, if you think it's wrong, it's cool. We can, 
discuss about it and ask about it. So, yeah. So, don't don't take what I say as the as the uh, the only way to understand something. There's plenty of other ways to understand these things. So, yeah. But I'm glad you like to talk anyway. So that's good. <laughs> Okay. I think I got some time. Yep. In regards to meditation, yep. sometimes I'm a bit concerned. You okay? <laughs> a bit. Oh, sometimes I'm a bit concerned. Is um, when I do meditation. Mm. At times, I see some friends, you know, and mm. they fall asleep and snoring. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes I do that too. Yeah. I feel very guilty. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, I when I, I've fallen asleep so many times in meditation, <laughs> I can't, I can't even count how many times I've fallen asleep. I've sort of. All of a sudden, you sit meditation, and then it's like I'm going to stay awake all night. This is going to be great. And then all of a sudden, it's like nine o'clock in the morning and you're lying on the floor and how did I get here? So, you know, don't worry about it too much. It, it's just, it's something normal. It's something that happens. Um, you obviously, you try to, if you feel like you're getting tired, you try to correct it. You try to, okay, sit up a bit straighter, try to reestablish mindfulness again. But if you fall asleep, you know, you, you fall asleep. That's just the way it is. And you, you look around and it's, it's, it's one of the, it's one of the, the, the the funny things when you're on like a retreat, everybody's sitting there, it's quiet and, and everyone's peaceful and <laughs> someone starts snoring next to you, ah, he's falling asleep. It's it's fine. It, it just it happens to people. So but it's very embarrassing. Though. Yeah, it's embarrassing. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. You're asleep. You don't. You, know, you can't. You can't be embarrassed. You're asleep. It doesn't matter. It's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're not gonna know. You're not gonna know that you're asleep. So it's only other people that know. So there's no need to be embarrassed. And yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's so there's so many there's so many people that that you know fall asleep in meditation. I've got some I've got some horror stories, but I won't tell them now. It's of, <laughs> of, of people falling asleep in meditation. It's it's always. It's always fun. Just, just see it as okay. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm a human. I have to sleep. Sometimes you're a bit tired. Sometimes you're trying. You've had a big day. You're tired. You sort of fall asleep. That's just that's just the way it is. You know. But just you, you try again. And as I said before, you begin again. You start again. If you've fallen asleep, it's okay. Okay, I've woken up. I've woke. Okay, okay. I try again. And, and again. And again. Yeah. Yeah, good, good, good. Yeah, yeah. You know, fall. So it's like it's like that in meditation. You fall asleep, wake up, try again. Fall asleep, wake up, try again. And it's like with your mind when your mind wanders off. When your mind wanders off, it's like you've gone to sleep anyway. So it's and when you finally wake up again, you have to just start again. So you know, don't don't worry about it too much. If you can find a way to overcome it, good. If not, you know, it's good. You get a bit of a nap as well. So. <laughs> So, uh, 10.30, probably, probably, that's probably about the time that we'll, we'll wrap it up for now. Uh, any more, uh, announcements or anything that need to be made? No? 
please feel free to join us um, yep. for for the lunch, Jana. Yep. Yep. So um, I guess you know there's. Yeah, so yeah, you're more than welcome. We have a communal communal lunch over there at about eleven o'clock. So you're more than welcome to come. Um, but just before we go, we'll we'll uh, pay respects to the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, and yeah, we'll just officially finish the finish it off. Arahang Samma Sambuto Pagawa Bodang Pagawantang Abiwa Demi Soakato Pagawata Damo Damang Namasami Supatipanno Bhagavato Sawaka Sanko Sankang Namami <clears throat>